what a great and awesome thing it is to come into the presence of Almighty God, to be accepted in the Beloved. So it is a monumental question. John Murray said this in his uh, excellent book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. He said, the basic religious question is that of our relation to God. How can a man be just with God? How can he be right with the Holy One? In our situation, however, the question is much more aggravated. It is not simply how can man be just with God, but how can sinful man be just with God? You see, we need to be seen as just in order to come into God's presence. God cannot look upon sin with favor. Um, We know from the scriptures that God hates sin. So it is a, if we start with that question, and we must start with that question, it is not a light thing to come into the presence of Almighty God. How can we, as believers in Jesus Christ, how can we understand that we have a right relationship with God? On what, what is the foundation? What is the ground of that? that? What is our confidence based upon? Is it based upon our works? Is it based upon our, our faith? Or is it based upon the merits of Christ? Do we look upon ourselves or do we look upon a righteousness which is provided by Christ himself? What does it all mean to be justified by faith alone? It's said a lot and I'm sure we believe it, but could we explain it to someone? If someone, a, a dear Roman Catholic came to you, or not even a Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox or an atheist, or anybody came to you and asked you the question, what does it mean to be justified by faith alone? These were things that were hotly debated at one point in church history. How are we accepted before God? John Owen said this, There cannot be a more effectual engine plied for the ruin of religion than for men to declaim against the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Or another way to say that is, if we abandon justification by faith alone, there's no more effectual, there is no more uh, powerful engine in destroying religion. Without this doctrine, the church falls. Without this doctrine, the church doesn't exist. It no longer has the gospel. That's why it matters, and that's why it is vitally important that we see this as something that is core to our understanding of the gospel. Martin Luther said this, when it stands by this article, and and Martin Luther was writing of justification by faith alone, the church stands. When this article falls, and he's talking about justification by faith alone, the church falls. So this this is a vital and important doctrine for the church. Now, the first place, the first time I ever heard a definition of justification is um, I, I joined a church years ago down in Cork, and I was 
given this definition, and I've heard it in a number of other places since, that justification is just as if I'd never sinned. Um, I understand there's an element of truth in this popular slogan. I, I probably imagine most people have heard it. You may have even, maybe perhaps you've used it yourself to explain justification. Uh, but the unfortunately, the, it only displays part of the truth of what justification is. Yes, there's forgiveness in justification, but there's more than just forgiveness in justification. Justification includes forgiveness and removal of sin, but it is more than that. Imagine if this definition just tells us that it's like our score is set back to zero. We're set back to even if our our sins are washed away. Well, the just shall live by faith. The just, the righteous, that these are titles given to the saints in Jesus Christ. People who are seen and is accounted as righteous. It's not just people with a a zero number, if if you could put it that way. Justification has a positive element to it. It's not just negative and removing of sin. It, yes, it includes that. But there's a positive righteousness. There's a righteousness which is needed in order for anybody to come before God. The demands of the law of God, summarized in the Ten Commandments, summarized in the New Testament, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second table, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The first part is summarized, you know, uh, commandments one to four. And the second table of the law summarizes the our, our command or our responsibilities towards our neighbor. The demands of that law must be met. God must look upon us as if we have kept the law perfectly. And that makes it even more staggering what the question is. How can a man be right with God? And the problem with the the popular slogan, just as if I'd never sinned, is it reduces it to only part of that major question. So what is what so what is justification? Justification. The first verse we're going to look up there is Deuteronomy uh, 25 verse 1. We're going to be looking up a few scriptures this evening. Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 1. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 1, If there is a dispute between men and they come to court, that the judges may judge them, and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. Now, we're just going to stop there because that's the the major point here. The, 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 the job of the judge is not to make anyone righteous or wicked. The job of the, the, job of, of the judge is to declare the, the, the righteous to be righteous and to declare the wicked to be wicked. And it says here that the judges may judge them and they justify the righteous 
and condemn the wicked. The opposite of justification is condemnation. They're opposites of each other. So it says here, um, John Murray comments on this. It is not the function of judges to make people righteous. The meaning is simply only that judges were to give a just judgment and therefore they were to declare the righteous to be righteous just as they were to declare the wicked to be wicked. And so there's a declaring. Justification is declaring something before a court. If you get that, if we kind of get that concept before a court in our heads, before the judge, before the throne room of God, what is the verdict of God? Um, another way as well to, to ju- and the scriptures also talk about justifying God. If we look at Luke 7 verse 29, Luke chapter 7 verse 29. When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So even the tax collectors justified God. And here it's God is being shown or declared to be righteous. So there's the the declaring to be righteous. Um, Another verse we look at here, the next point we're going to look at, sinner justified, declared to be justified before God by faith. That's in Romans 3, verse 20. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is the, is the knowledge of sin. So therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. It, they will not be justified. They will not be declared to be righteous, declared to be righteous before God. It is not by the deeds of the law because that brings on sin. Now, the Greek word here, that is translated to justify does not mean to make righteous. And I think it's important to point this out at this point. Um, sometimes in order to see why this is so important, uh, why the doctrine of justification by faith alone is so important, is comparing it to one of its greatest and most egregious errors throughout history, the the church began to start teaching in the Middle Ages that justification was to make righteous. Now, this was a misunderstanding of the Latin uh, word that was translated from the Greek word. It's possible, it's possible in the Latin doesn't make sense in the context. But from the Greek, it's not possible at all. Um, And it's probably one of the things that points out that the importance of maintaining among the church the use of the original languages 
because one of the the sources of the error in justification was um, the decline of the use of Greek and the use of Latin in the medieval church. So it does not mean to make righteous, it means to declare to be righteous. Now, the, the word justification is a legal term. We were saying this is, this is a declaration before the throne room of heaven of whether someone is righteous, that's justification, or someone is condemned. These are two possible verdicts before the throne room of heaven. If we think of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. The exact opposite, condemnation is the opposite of justification. And if you are justified, there is no condemnation. There is no verdict of guilty before the throne room of heaven. Uh, Just to give you one comment on this, William Webster said this, the word justification is primarily a legal, or sorry, a judicial or legal term. Justification is declarative in nature. It refers to a person's right standing or status before God. Again, just to repeat that, his, it, it is declarative. It declares, it is not speaking of our internal righteousness. If it did, we would have no hope. And this is the big major difference between Roman Catholicism and the Protestant Reformation. Rome had it as a righteousness which was infused into the person, and that was how a person was justified. And they had to maintain that through sacraments and everything else. And that's how you also have doctrines such as purgatory being able to be entertained with such a, a thought. But if we think about it as it is a judicial term, it is a legal term. Here's your status. And because of that, it is based upon the work of another. It's based upon Jesus Christ. Um, the, the Roman Catholic Church has always rejected that justification is a legal term. They would see it as someone as being made righteous, being changed. And to reject that is some kind of, um, Well, they would antinomianism. Antinomianism, rejecting of the law to live lawlessly, and and since uh, you have it there, I just have a comment there about the Council of Trent. Um, during the Reformation, there was a major Roman Catholic council that took place between fifteen forty five to fifteen sixty three, and this was in reaction to what was happening in Europe with the Reformation. Um, the Roman Catholic Church was losing a lot of people to uh, the Reformation and did not have clear, nailed-down definitions of what she believed. During the Council of Trent, they, you could say they nailed this down, that 
justification of the sinner is based both on Christ's righteousness and the work done by the sinner. Um, it also rejects... There's a number of parts in that where they would anathematize anyone who would believe in faith alone. Justification by faith alone. A person is anathema. That is under the condemnation of hell. So Rome has rejected this and is still... The, the the Trent the Council of Trent is still one of um one of Rome's central doctrines. Now let's look at a few verses now to look at justification by faith alone. First John chapter two. First John chapter two verse one. First John chapter two verse one. My little children. These things I write to you, so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate, we have a lawyer, we have a solicitor, we have a representative with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He represents us, and based upon his merit, his righteousness, we are declared righteous before him. It says, I write unto you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we all sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We can have full confidence if we're in Jesus Christ that he represents us. And it is not based upon our internal or infused righteousness it's true that the grace of God does change us, but it is not by because of that that we're justified. That is only because of the righteousness of Christ. If we look now at Romans 5:17. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 which says, "For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one" And that one man is speaking about Adam. Adam. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Through the, the offense of one, death reigned upon all. The, everybody was accounted and seen as a sinner and condemned in the sin of Adam. He was, the, he was the representative of all the human race. Now, those who are in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, are seen as righteous in him. And you see there, there's this, you're, we're either in Adam or we're in the second Adam, that is Christ. If we're in Adam, we're under condemnation. The law is broken. If we're in the, in the second Adam, the second Adam has, has fulfilled the law perfectly. He has succeeded where the first Adam failed. He has kept the law perfectly before God. And not only that, he has canceled out the sin debt against all those he represents. He has taken the wrath in place of his people. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Four is another verse we're going to look at. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That we should be holy. Now, internally, in our own selves, we're not holy. Not perfectly holy. Not enough to be received in Christ Jesus. But by the merits of Christ, unblemished, untainted, by our own efforts, but the merits of Christ, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. And the only way that is possible is in Jesus Christ and because of the righteousness that he provides. And then just one last verse before we get on to our next section is Romans chapter 4, verse 6. Romans chapter 4, verse 6. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Now, this is one of the sections that I wrestled with trying to, which which things to take out. You could spend 10 plus lectures speaking about the doctrine of justification. I could, you could spend a whole time, our whole time talk about just imputation by itself. It is a glorious doctrine. But just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness, imputation, the doctrine by which we are seen or accredited or accounted as righteous. Again, very different to the Roman Catholic Church's idea of infused righteousness. Very different. That is sanctification. We are changed in this world, but our sanctification is not perfect. But the righteousness which we receive by Christ, it is imputed to our account. It is accredited to our account. That righteousness, apart from works, apart from our works, is perfect. There's no blemish on that. And it is only that way that we can have a right relationship with God. You also have an imputation with Adam's sin to to all mankind. So there's that idea of Adam represents all of of mankind. He sins and they sin in him. It is imputed to their account. Now, in Christ, those who have come by faith in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to them. His righteousness. And that's the difference. On the one side, you have the true gospel of grace. It is the righteousness of Christ, not our righteousness and Christ's righteousness mixed together. You see, there's various views that have come up um one of the main ones the Roman Catholic Church's view but also some views in within Protestant circles as well that yes grace is ne- necessary now the Roman Catholic Church has never rejected that grace is necessary has never rejected that 
It has always said that grace is necessary. The difference is this teaching is grace alone. Faith alone. They also teach that faith is necessary, but not faith alone. So there's a big difference here. And when you say it is the imputed righteousness of Christ, you've closed the door to works. There's nothing to be added to Christ's perfect work or perfect righteousness. Uh, The next one we're going to look at now is Christ's obedience to the law of God. I'm just going to make a few points on this. Christ's obedience to the law of God. When Christ obeyed the law, he obeyed the law in the place of his people, his elect. Now, this this has been challenged and in the Reformation by, um, not by reformers, but by others. Uh, some have would struggle with this a little bit, but Christ obeyed the law. He obeyed the law in the place of his people. So that is the righteousness, the righteousness which is theirs by faith. Again, Adam broke the law of God. And... That brings the wrath of God. Uh, if we look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verses 18 and 19. Therefore as through one man's offense. Judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation. Even so, so through one man's righteous act. The free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came through all men, resulting in condemnation. So there's condemnation through the sin of Adam, but there's justification through the the perfect righteousness of Christ. And you you could put it like this, where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. Um, We'll just look as well on why is faith alone so important? Why is faith alone so important? When, When we believe, when we say justification by faith alone, we are closing the door to any of our merits. Um, it, it has been questioned whether or not it is an absolutely essential part of the gospel. Essentially, Roman Catholicism mixes grace and works, especially at the final point of justification. They would see justification as a process. For, for Roman Catholicism, it's a process over time. In in Protestantism, it's, it's a declaration before God. And if you are justified today by the righteousness of Christ, that can never be taken away from you. Ever. It is something that is provided outside of you. It is something that Christ has done on your behalf. As we said... Roman Catholicism teaches that grace is necessary, but they reject faith alone and grace alone for justification. I know this because when I first came to Christ, um, I met 
many very nice Roman Catholics who got a long ch- chance to talk about various things, the gospel. Um, and they would say, well, no, 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 we believe that grace is necessary. Oh, yeah, we're not, it's not by our works. No, no, grace is necessary. They were adamant about that. And I was like, oh, I'm confused here. Everybody's saying that Roman Catholicism teaches that we're saved by our works. But that's the problem. We don't really understand what Roman Catholicism teaches. So then when we come to our neighbors and friends who are Roman Catholic, they're saying, mm, that's not what we teach. They, <clears throat> they do teach that grace is necessary, but not that grace is sufficient. They don't teach that the grace is enough. And it's very important that we understand that. Now, will every single Roman Catholic you talk to understand that? No. Uh, I certainly didn't before I was converted. But it's important if we do talk to people who do go to Mass regularly or we do, I don't know, if we, somebody who does read the, the Catholic Catechism and may know of these things, it's important that we realize Rome has not rejected grace, but they've rejected grace alone. Um, if we look at Romans 11, verse 6, Romans 11, verse 6, it says this, And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. And grace and works are very much like oil and water. They do not mix. It's either by works and it is of death or debt, sorry. If some, if you, for example, if you do a job and you work for a day's wage, you are owed a certain amount. And that is of debt. That is of works. But if something's given to you, that is not deserved, not based upon anything you have done, then that is by grace. And it can't be a mixture of one and the other. In uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 28, Romans chapter 4, verse 28. Let me get the wrong reference here, maybe. Yeah, apologies, that's the wrong reference. <laughs> um, okay, so faith is the... I'm going to give you just something to think about here with, with regards to faith. If we were to describe what faith is, what is faith? And there can be different analogies. It is the empty hand of of trusting upon God. We, we can think about different things like that. It is trusting upon God alone. But what is it? How does it, and I'm going to try and use this language carefully, how does it cause our salvation? Because the Bible says we're saved by faith. We're saved by faith alone. Faith is clearly necessary there. Where does faith come from? Faith is a gift of God. But faith is the only instrumental cause 
of salvation. Now, the illustration you could use with this is, if you imagine somebody with a sculpture, the chisel, and you have the sculptor, and then you have the final work of art. The, the sculpture is doing the work. The chisel is just the tool in the hand of the artist. That chisel is that instrument, you could say causing, the instrumental cause of the final work of art. That was an illustration that would have been used during the Reformation as well. It is a tool used by the artist. Faith is a gift of God. It is graciously given to the sinner. In our own larger catechism, it calls saving or justifying faith a saving grace. It's not something that originates within us. Otherwise, the difference between you and our lost neighbor is something within you. But it is something given by God. And that's why it's all of grace. All of grace, beginning, middle, and end. Our response by faith is something that God does in the sinner, because we're incapable of doing it. For there to be a gospel, for it to be by grace, it must be by faith alone. Now, I bring this up because it's challenged and different things like that. Um, it has been challenged in recent times in a document that was called Evangelicals and Catholics Together. That um, And the, the idea is there were Roman Catholics on one side, Protestants on another, uh, Chuck Colson, J.I. Packer on one side, and a number of Roman Catholics on another side, that they said we are... We are saved by faith, and by grace, they would say as well. Um, Justification by faith alone started to be seen not as centrally important to the gospel. And this is a comment, this is a quote here from G.I. Packer, who would have supported ECT, Evangelicals and Catholics together. And and I'm going to just, just warning, this is... Uh, you know, a wrong view. Evangelicalism seeks to lead people into salvation. And what brings them salvation is not any theory about faith and justification, but trusting Jesus himself as Lord, Master, and Divine Savior. So Packer was saying that it's not any theory about faith and justification, faith alone, but trusting Jesus himself as Lord. And the argument is basically, well, Roman Catholics and Protestants could agree on that. In other words, faith alone is not central importance or essential to the gospel, which is really concerning, to say the least. Very different to his writings, the way he wrote in the 1960s. Um, and what's at stake here is not just theories about different things, it's about whether we're trusting ourselves or trusting God alone. Justification by faith alone says it's all a work of God and it's all a work of grace. God provides the justification needed to be received in his presence. But other views 
in some way have at least some of the trust in the sinner or maybe through the sacraments of the church. So just um, we'll wrap up there and I'll take any questions if anybody's got any questions. Um, And I say, is there anything more important than this? When we think about this, um, being accepted before the throne of grace, coming, being able to come before the throne of grace. This morning, we gathered in worship to, to call out to our God in heaven in the name of Jesus Christ. And how can we do so with confidence? Because of this truth, the righteousness provided by Christ to our account. And dear friends, if we, if we think some of it, or even a, a hair's breadth of it, had anything to do with us, We can't come before the throne of God because we're not internally holy. We're accounted and seen as holy because of Christ. And I think if the church would think more about, I think like the church broadly, would think more about their justification before God, what what Christ did, how he obeyed the law, how he paid the sin penalty, what our response should be is, is worship, glorifying his name. How much more grateful would we be? And what would it do to our assurance of salvation? You know, people, you know, they fall into sin and they say, oh, am, I, am I really a Christian? But are, you, all we really need to think, are we really trusting in Christ? Because it is not anything to do with us how we're accepted before God. What would it do to our prayer life when we do fall into sin perhaps we can go forward how much more grateful would we be how much more in awe of god would we be and how we have how much more praise and thanksgiving will it do in our hearts so i think i'd encourage you all maybe it could be booklets to think about this doctrine how how can we sinners fall in an atom conceived in iniquity how can we have a relationship with the the god of heaven and earth the holy one the righteous one it, it, it's an incredible thing it's something that should leave us in awe and wonder so i'll just leave it at that